Good morning to you, my Patriot friends, on this early edition of My Patriot Brain. Um, my Patriot Brain is the show that creates action potentials of patriotism. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Thursday, October 19th, 2023. As always, I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone. Thank you for downloading this episode. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week every Monday and Thursday morning on Spotify and iHeartRadio. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow My Patriot Brain on Spotify and share the show with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your enemies, anyone else you can think of who needs Inside My Patriot Brain. Go to my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com for free content. Click on the link to my Truth, so- my Truth Social account where I post articles related to this show. Uh, at my website, you can also find my book, Implicit Biases in the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics, which is available exclusively at barnesandnoble.com. You can follow me at True Social as at CSPsychOK. Uh, you can follow me on Rumble as the conservative social psychologist. Uh, Major League Baseball news, American League Championship Series. Uh, Texas Rangers are leading the Houston Astros two games to one. Uh, Astros won a game last night, so uh, now it's two to one. Uh, game four will be Thursday. Game five, uh, Friday, and game six, Saturday. <clears throat> Those are if, if necessary if someone doesn't get to four. So games, game four and five, Thursday, Friday, and then game six if necessary. Uh, National League Championship Series, Arizona versus Philadelphia. Philadelphia Phillies are leading two games to nothing. They've won in very impressive fashion. Uh, game three is Thursday, game four Friday, game five Saturday. Um, I thought something pretty funny on um, TBS's broadcast um, a couple nights ago. I guess it was the probably the Arizona game. Um, so Pedro Martinez, one of my favorite pitchers, he was unbelievable in the, in the early 2000s. Um, incredible movement on everything he threw. Like the world would stop to watch him pitch. Uh, he's got really long fingers, which allows him to manipulate the baseball. I mean, as far as scouts go, like we know that that's a major thing, but it allows him to spin the ball in different ways, uh, even though he's not that tall of a guy. He's he actually pretty, pretty short. He's about 5'11". But anyway, he could throw hard, uh, and he threw efficiently with his motion, and he had lots of movement, and he was just almost unhittable most of the time. So it's been, it's been fun watching his broadcasting career over the years as he's developed that. But um, if some of you remember the Yankees-Red Sox um, rivalries, uh, and you remember at some point that Pedro said that the Yankees were his daddy. He, was, he played for the Red Sox. He said the Yankees were his daddy that night because he had been um, beaten by them um, severely on the field. Uh, anyway, so they have a segment on TBS. It shows what good self-deprecating humor Pedro Martinez has. They have a segment called "Who's Your Daddy," and it's uh, so they have funny pictures of Pedro where he's like they had one yesterday where the, the player that was named as, as his daddy that day. Um, who had dominated the game um, was like this tall guy, and then Pedro's face was plastered over this like little little kid that was walking next to him. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Anyway, it shows how good of a sense of humor Pedro Martinez has, uh, and how he's actually a pretty cool guy. He's also a Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, speaking of Yankees, Red Sox, uh, I couldn't help on the Fox post game last night looking at Derek Jeter, A. Rod, and David Ortiz, and just thinking about how that whole set was just early 2000s Yankees Red Sox. Like there was a little bit probably too much of that on there. Um, However, having said that, uh, it's always fun to listen to A-Rod talk hitting. One of the best clips you can ever go back and watch is Alex Rodriguez interviewing Pete Rose on hitting. Um, Check that out. That's phenomenal um, baseball knowledge there. Uh, But, you know, Jeter did a great job. A-Rod did a great job. And and David Ortiz, uh, as always, did a good job in the uh, post-game commentary. So it's very insightful to watch them, but it was a little bit, um, kind of an overload of Yankees, early 2000s Yankees Red Sox. 
Uh, college football news, AP Top 5 rankings, Georgia's ranked number one, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington round out the AP Top 5. Um, this Coming up this weekend, University of C- Central Florida is playing at number six, Oklahoma, 11 a.m. Central Time on ABC. OU is a 19-point favorite. Texas Tech plays at BYU, uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, FS1. Texas Tech is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Dallas Cowboys um, won 20-17 to 17 on Monday Night Football over the Chargers, and the Cowboys are off this week. Uh, it's been interesting watching the media lately. Uh, you know, the, President Trump has been silenced in a variety of different ways, right? So he's got um, the media silences him anyway, and we know that for a fact. Remember, social media blocked out him from Facebook, everything after J6, uh, and he was not allowed to speak to the public at all. As the sitting president, he couldn't, get, he couldn't talk to the public. Um, and, of course, we've seen the media... Um, they tend to not cover his talks. They don't cover anything he says. Um, the, they might put him on in the background so that they can say they cover him so that people will think, um, oh, yeah, no, we, they, they cover the president. They, they, we see him talk, but you don't ever hear him talk. You see him in the background while somebody else says, we'll get back to it if he has something important to say. Right now, he's just campaigning. Uh, so anyway, so the media silences Trump. Social media silences Trump. And of course, now a, a judge has put a gag order on there. Uh, listening to Ted Cruz on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show yesterday, uh, and Ted Cruz's analysis was that, that Trump is not going to go to jail uh, for violating the gag order, that the gag order is illegal, uh, and that at most the judge would try to fine Trump um, for, you know, he, he got the gag order they put on Trump was he can't talk about anybody who is potentially relevant to the case. He can't talk about the judge. He can't talk about uh, the clerks or the staff or the other uh, opposing legal counsel or anybody else. Um, Basically, that he can't defend himself in the public um, for you know kind of the bogus charges that he's dealing with. Um, but anyway, so Ted Cruz says he doesn't think that, that Trump will go to jail anyway. And of course, he has an extremely biased judge who has uh, you know everybody uh, that's been going after Trump on the legal realm, whether it's a judge or attorneys, are all well on the record long before the case, having said they're going to do anything to get Trump. So uh, that would seem to make this incredibly unfair. Uh, Ron DeSantis was on Brian Kilmeade's show. Uh, again, Kilmeade is okay. Uh, and I wasn't listening to Glenn Beck at that time because I had forgotten to switch it over. Um, but Ron DeSantis was on. Um, he had some good things to say. I'm, I'm, again, I feel pretty comfortable with Ron DeSantis. I have no problems with him. Um, but one of the things I thought was interesting that DeSantis said was he, to kind of paraphrase what he was saying. And he even said, like, he even almost said this, like, almost word for word. But he basically said, you know, we, we need Trump. And Trump can't be Trump now is basically the, the message that he had. He was actually very um, laudatory of, of Donald Trump's uh, policies and work. And he said lots of good things about the things that Trump has done. Uh, I think his, his argument was basically, you know, we need Trump uh, and we need, we need Republicans to you know, follow suit with what Trump has built. Um, but Trump can't be Trump now. And that's an interesting perspective for him to take um, when Trump had been you know, battling after, you know, coming after DeSantis so much. Uh, so keep an eye on it. I felt, I felt comfortable with DeSantis. Again, I'm, I think that President Trump is, we've got some unfinished business and he needs to come in and, and do his thing. But uh, at least it's good to feel that, you know, maybe somebody else is emerging uh, in the background. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we end up with a Republican president who's an actual Republican, an actual conservative. Uh, I posted on my True Social, Joe Biden's 60-minute interview was a disaster video. Um, and uh, it's it's about Joe Biden's 60 minute interview, and, and it's it's Larry O'Connor's town hall video from October 16th, 2023. 
Uh, it's a pretty cool video to watch. It's sad, actually, but you watch Biden struggle for these answers to these questions he's given. Uh, this was his 60-minute interview on um, the Arab-Israel conflict. Uh, and I think what was really interesting in it was Larry's, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously Larry's commentary. Um, but the other part of it was he went back and, and they found video clips that paralleled it from previous interviews and the way that Biden gave his answers and his canned responses to, the, to these questions. And so you see how incredibly scripted his interviews are um, when he goes on 60 Minutes. Also on True Social, I posted an article, uh, maybe Biden should cancel his Israel trip after what happened to the German chancellor by Matt Vespa, October 17th, 2023. Uh, it was kind of scary stuff. You see the German chancellor and, and the chancellor's staff having to lay flat on the tarmac at the Tel Aviv airport and then get um, um, rushed off to a bomb shelter. Um, maybe the U.S. president shouldn't be there uh, under those circumstances. And of course, we also know that President Biden uh, is kind of preempting the, the war plans of Israel. Anyway, so on the topic of Israel, I don't want to talk about this every episode, um, so I'll probably wind down my commentary on this here. When I was a graduate professor, so I was teaching graduate school, um, in our my social psychology class, I would do a topic where uh, the students would have to come in and discuss the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. And students were always horrified at the idea of having to lead discussions over this and analyze this in class from a social psychology standpoint. And as I've talked about in the past, I've talked about some of the social psychology research that, that relates to this. And that's stuff that I would talk about. Um, but then they would have to present and discuss this. And they're always, at first, everybody's got a perspective and they've got a, and they're horrified that they're going to have to argue that. Um, but they're not actually arguing anything. They're supposed to break it down, you know, in an unbiased fashion from, from the principles of science. Uh, and when they come back, they immediately come back and say, we didn't know how hard this was going to be to find unbiased information. Uh, and they didn't really understand how, um, how biased the information is all around when it comes to this issue. Uh, and so that was always something um, that was enjoyable. I actually had um, the president of our university um, come to my class and participate in that discussion. Uh, and he was... Uh, he had participated in the, the UN discussions uh, years ago on this issue. Uh, and so it was neat to, for him to be able to tell me that, I, that we were doing a pretty good job of, in an unbiased way, analyzing a very charged situation. Uh, so in the spirit of all of that, uh, I, wanted, I posted a film on, on my True Social. Uh, and it gives a very different perspective than what we're probably, most of my listeners and myself are probably used to seeing. It's a 2017 um, film called Christians of Palestine, uh, Life Behind the Wall. And so I encourage, it's 26 minutes long. I encourage you to watch it. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm not even saying that I, you know, so I don't have a, a stance on all of this. I'm, I'm pro-Israel. I'm pro-Christian. Uh, I'm not anti-anybody other than anti-terrorist. Uh, but it's interesting. It, 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 it's a documentary that's done by um, Christians who've lived in Palestine for a long time and what life is like, their day-to-day -day life is like uh, there. Um, so anyway, so I'm not trying to, like I said, I'm not, I'm not endorsing it. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. It's a very interesting perspective. Uh, so I encourage you to check it out. Uh, one, of the, one of the other issues that we run into is do we take refugees from there or not uh, here in the United States? And Ron DeSantis said, no, we shouldn't. And I agree we shouldn't because you know what? It's too bad that our open borders have saturated our refugee capacity, right? Like we can't take refugees anymore because the Democrats opened up our borders and let everybody in. And so now we can't keep, we can't take care of the people we have. Um, 
So we definitely shouldn't be taking more refugees, which is a shame because the United States has a history of taking refugees um, when needed. Uh, and we can't do that because the Democrats have not been nice. Um, but the Republicans are complicit in this too. I always like to point out because they let it happen. Uh, anyway, it'd be nice if we had secure borders and we could control everything again and we could go back to being helpful when we need to help the other humans out, right? Yeah, but at this point, we obviously can't. Uh, another article I posted on my True Social, ASU president, which is Arizona State University. ASU president defends lefty professor who assaulted Turning Point USA journalist, ignores pro-Hamas agitators on campus by Jennifer Van Lahr, October 16th, 2023, in Red State. Um, so the professor in question sponsors Phoenix's Drag Queen Story Hour, uh, which I don't care about. Like, whatever you want to do on your own time, that's, that's whatever. Uh, and these are professors, so these are not, you know, kindergarten teachers. Uh, and also a creative writing series uh, about a 17-year-old boy being groomed by older women. Well, that would seem to be pretty inappropriate, right? Um, but anyway, so the, the, this lefty professor, as described, um, is a man in a dress, uh, and he's walking across campus, public campus, in a public position as a professor. And uh, the Turning Point USA journalist is asking him questions. And he's walking with him and continues to ask him questions about, you know, creative writing series, the drag queen story hour stuff, all this stuff. And he won't answer him. He won't talk to him, but he keeps walking. It goes on for a long time. Uh, and then the, the guy goes after, then the, the guy uh, in the dress, the professor, um, goes after the um, journalist. And so anyway, that, that's where that the whole incident came, comes from that. But he keeps being described as a lefty professor, a lefty professor, lefty professor. But he looks like a righty because he throws his punch with his right hand. So I guess you can't hide who you really are. Uh, kind of reminded me of the, the movie The Quick and the Dead, which is a really good movie with uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio is in there too. Um, anyway, it's a, and, and Sharon Stone. Uh, anyway, it's a 1990s um, Western movie uh, set in the Old West. Um, but Russell Crowe's character, he's, a, he's an old gunfighter who's not old. He's a, he's a young gunfighter. Um, who's who's reformed himself and found God, and he's a preacher, and they've got him all shackled up. And uh, Gene Hackman's character wants to uh, wants to kill him in the streets in a gunfight, so he puts guns down for him and says, "Oh, you'll you'll go for him when time comes." And so, clock dings, and they go to to fire. And sure enough, the preacher who says he won't fight him, um, push comes to shove, he shows who he really is, and he grabs the gun and tries to shoot him. Right. So, uh, anyway, the, the the lefty professor. Uh, who throws the right hand, can't hide who he really is. Um, okay, so uh, House Speaker stuff is still going on. Um, I, don't, I don't know that there was a resolution to it last night. I, I haven't checked. Um, Jim Jordan has been struggling to get the votes, but again, as we know, sometimes it just takes a few rounds for people to uh, figure out what it is that they're going to extract from other people uh, as term, in terms of value for their vote, uh, and then they end up getting it on, you know, third ballot, ballot, fourth ballot, second ballot, wherever. Um, so uh, Jim Jordan will probably be the speaker. I think he'll do a good job. I think he's the guy that need is needed. And hopefully the Republican Party will unite around a strong speaker. Democrats had a very strong speaker before. They had Nancy Pelosi. Um, I don't like Nancy Pelosi at all, but uh, she was a very strong speaker for them. And I hope we have somebody that can match that uh, and fight back for us in what little time we have left before uh, Congress turns over and hopefully becomes... Um, even more Republican. Okay, so today's topic uh, was, um, was an article sent to me by Chris from South Oklahoma City. Um, it's a scientific article published in the Journal of Social and Political Psychology. 
um, by Bardeen and, and Michelle called Associations Among Dimensions of Political Ideology and Dark Tetrad Personality Features. So previous findings of dark triad traits, dark triad or personality traits that are just like they say dark, right? And triad means three. Uh, Machiavellianism, so manipulating other people, narcissism, being self-absorbed, uh, and psychopathy, which is kind of an emotionless, um, you know, selfish manipulation of others, I guess you could say. So they found, previous research has found that higher levels of liberalism, so you know, being a liberal, um, were associated with lower levels of extroversion, uh, lower levels of conscientiousness, uh, and narcissism, and, uh, and also higher levels of openness and psychopathy. So higher levels of conservatism were associated with higher levels of extroversion, uh, higher, higher levels of conscientiousness, and, and also narcissism, uh, and lower levels of openness and psychopathy. So the previous research paints a picture of um, you know, liberals being um, kind of less, uh, less aware of other people, uh, less outgoing, uh, and less selfish, uh, and then also being more open to experience, uh, and also being more psychopathic. Um, so conservatives were kind of the opposite of that uh, in the previous research. So there are new in, in this new study they're looking at in this particular one by Bardeen and, and Michelle, they're looking at the dark tetrad, which are all those three things, Machiavellianism, nar narcissism, and psychopathy, and also includes everyday sadism, um, which is exactly what you think it would be, which like every day, how often do you think about doing something really mean to somebody else? Uh, in their first study, they had 579 MTurk participants, which is an Amazon platform where people get paid to take surveys. And so here were the questions that they asked to measure liberal or conservative. And th this is going to be an important issue that I talk about in a minute. Uh, so I'm quoting this, right? This is the question they ask. In terms of social and cultural issues, such as abortion, separation of church and state, and affirmative action, where would you place, place yourself on the following scale? Um, in and that was one of them. And of course, it's from extremely liberal to extremely conservative, right? So that's one question that they've packaged all these. It's one, one item. They've packaged all this stuff into uh, social and cultural issues, abortion, separation of church and state, affirmative action. I know lots of conservatives that don't, aren't on the same page on all three of those things. Uh, and then two, in terms of economic issues, such as taxation, welfare, and privatization of Social Security, where would you place yourself on the following scale, right? So those questions right there are liberals conceptualization of what conservatives find important uh, and the way that they're packaged up. That's, that's problematic right there. But anyway, so one is extremely liberal, two is liberal, three is middle of the road, four is conservative, five is, is extremely conservative. Uh, the means and standard deviations for that first measure, which was social political ideology, mean is 2.79. Okay. So 2.79 puts you somewhere between liberal and middle of the road. So this sample is automatically, or already, it's not automatically, but it's already skewed liberal. Uh, and then the economic political ideology was 2.47, which again, puts you in between classification of liberal and middle of the road. So the whole thing is skewed liberal from the start in the sample. And these aren't college students, right? These are, these are MTURC participants. So the results uh, that they found, they found that more socially liberal political ideology and more conservative economic political ideology was associated with greater Machiavellianism, but that was only at the high levels of economic politi political ideology. Um, they also found that it was associated with greater narcissism, um, but only at the lower levels of economic political ideology. And that it was associated with, so being more conservative politically, 
in the social way and then also in the economic way was also associated with greater psychopathy, but only at the lower levels of, polit of economic political ideology. So economic level of economic political ideology, which again was measured by your issues of taxation, um, taxation, welfare, and privatization of social security. Uh, that's what distinguished whether or not um, liberals or conservatives were different on these, these factors. Uh, nothing with sadism, so they couldn't even find any relationship with sadism at all. So second study they did, 597 participants on MTurk, um, they used different items to measure things. And so they, they item, the two items that they used in the social domain had to do with abortion and gay marriage. Again, because that's what liberals think conservatives stand for, <laughs> are those two issues. Uh, and four items uh, assess preference on the economic domain, health insurance, social security, reg regulation of the financial industry, and unemployment insurance. Um, all of those are still like conservative perspectives on liberal issues, right? Like health insurance has to do with uh, opposition to Obamacare. Uh, social security has to do with liberals' um, um, con constant message that, that Republicans are trying to take away their social security. Uh, regulation of the financial industry has to do with they're, they're always wanting to regulate the financial industry and Republicans are always pushing back on that. Uh, and then unemployment insurance, right? Again, all of these are issues that, that are clearly written by liberal um, liberal researchers who are trying to figure out, um, who are trying to understand conservatives without ever actually talking to conservatives or, you know, nothing. They, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, so for each item, the participants were asked where they would place themselves on that seven-point scale from strong, like such as strongly opposed to, you know, uh, legalizing, strongly opposed legalizing gay marriage to strongly support legalizing gay marriage. Um, I, as my listeners are listening to me right now talk about this, I'm sure you're thinking, yep, that's what makes me a conservative, that thing right there. Uh, anyway, so I don't think that the items are even necessarily measuring or correctly measuring conservative perspectives. They're certainly not catching the breadth of, the, of conservatism, but they are catching the stereotype that liberals have of conservatives. Uh, and, uh, you know, abortion and gay marriage are the, are the main test here uh, for the social components of that. Um, samples were heavily skewed liberals, like I said, uh, you know, and perhaps um, that this effect just came from the fact that the conservatives that are crazy enough to lurk where the liberals lurk in MTurk, um, that's how they see the world. Anyway, okay, so on to the Patriot Brain Line. Uh, Jason from Piedmont uh, commenting on the last episode, um, bunting is a lost art form. No one does it anymore or even knows how to do it correctly. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Uh, ben from Kansas City. Uh, Doc, I would like to know your take on Matt Gates and the speaker transition. I like Jim Jordan. 20 Republicans voted for someone other than Jim Jordan, leaving him 17 votes short of securing the chair, having 200 of the 217 needed. All 212 Democrats voted against together. Why can't, now, why can't Republicans understand that they have to unify to win? They are just as much of the problem. Uh, the Republicans are 100% the problem. <laughs> if they could get together and, and figure out what they're doing, um, we wouldn't have a lot of problems we have. Um, they, Democrats work in lockstep, and they push things through, and they move things through Congress, and they, they, they're on the same page when they go out to the public, and Republicans are all over the place. And that's part of what makes Republicans um, you know, important is our independence from each other. But at the same time, it makes it hard for us to beat a unified um, you know, opposition. You know, so united we stand, divided we fall uh, component of that. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to end up getting basically electing a Democrat uh, as House Chair or as House Speaker. Um, because if we're using the Democrats as the, 
as the test for who's acceptable to the public, then we, we, we've lost already. The Democrats seem to be playing this pretty well. Um, I liked Matt Gates's move to get the speaker out, and a lot of people I respect um, disagreed with that because they say it takes up too much time, so we're not getting things through Congress, we're not being efficient, um, and, and we're going to end up giving the Democrats too much power in electing the speaker. And I definitely see how that's the case. Um, I still think, though, that Kevin McCarthy needed needed to go. Uh, he wasn't getting he wasn't getting enough done. Like we have to sort some of this stuff out of the Republican Party, and, and it's going to be ugly, and it's going to happen at times like this. Uh, and so I still think Matt Gates did the right thing. Um, the Republicans need to fix some things in house before we move forward. And that's just as long as we keep kicking the can down the road, just like we did with um, you know immigration reform on the, and border control that we've been kicking the can down the road for for 35, 40 years. Uh, it's always like somebody in the future will deal with that, right? Well, it needs to get dealt with. Like Republicans need to get on the same page and figure out what they're doing uh, and elect a speaker that can do that. Um, and then, you know, that's that's my thoughts on the whole thing. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, Chris from South Oklahoma City said the Minnesota Twins study, and what he's talking to is not a baseball study. He's talking about uh, there's a longitudinal study out of the University of Minnesota uh, that looked at that followed twins across their life for you know a lifespan. It was going on for you know a hundred year study or more, uh, and um, so they looked at twins and twins that got adopted out different places and twins that got separated at birth and twins that grew, to, grew up together and then went di different way, all different combinations of genetically identical twins. So that's what he's referring to. He said, the Minnesota twin study sh showed that genetically identical twins raised apart are overwhelmingly similar in terms of personality uh, across factors such as extroversion, emotionality, emotionality, uh, and more interestingly, traditionalist views. This was found to be so even this was found to be so even in comparison with other kinds of family members, siblings raised, such as siblings raised in the same homes. So just how important is environment to what makes us individuals really? Uh, I would say that uh, extreme environmental conditions are very important to what make us individuals, but most environmental conditions are probably not. Like people rise up out of a lot of different places and, uh, you know, genetically determined uh, personality traits uh, affect that a lot doesn't mean people can't change but if you think about it as being kind of a um, you've got a, a stake in the ground and you're, you're tethered to that you know and think about that for each of those characteristics like extroversion emotionality uh, traditionalist views attitudes right all, all the different things you can have there's a stake in the ground that's genetics and then you can only go so far based on um, what nurture and what the environment have shown you uh, you can stretch that rubber band you can get farther away um, but at the same at, at the, regardless, you're starting at that point and you're not going to be able to get necessarily too far away from it. Uh, so, but I think that the extreme environmental conditions like extreme poverty or extreme abuse or neglect or things like that, that's what can affect uh, different parts of those, um, you know, personality traits. Um, but unless it's an extreme condition, it probably isn't going to affect your personality very much at all. Thank you for the question. Uh, I'm glad to answer the nature nurture question uh, so quickly since, you know, philosophers who, you know what I think about philosophers, but philosophers have been trying to answer this question for generations. Uh, Patriot Brainline, voice message me through Spotify for podcasters, message me through True Social, or email me at the email address listed on my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software, writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting my Patriot Brain with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for podcasters page, or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. 
Thank you for listening. We're strong together. And now it's time for my closing thoughts. Always be wary of liberals in a liberal field using previous studies designed by liberals to support their point that conservatives are evil. Good luck finding conservatives within the field with the training to question the findings, but those good conservative scientists are out there. They will criticize the issues when called upon. Till I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow me on True Social and Rumble. Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. And thank you for joining this early morning Thursday edition of My Patriot Brain. Uh, We'll be back on Monday, and we'll chat soon. Have a good weekend.